The product transformation at the Ford Motor Company has been impressive to watch. In the last four years, Ford shot to the top of the quality rankings. Its sales are booming, it's gaining market share, and it is solidly profitable again. A key reason why Ford's cars and trucks have become so much better is because, four years ago, Derek Cusack was put in charge of global product development. Though born and raised in Detroit, Cusack spent a good part of his career in Europe where he honed his product development skills. If you'd like to learn a lot more about Cusack and where he's taking Ford from a product and technology standpoint, sit tight because that's what's coming up next on Autoline Detroit. From our studios in the Motor City, this is Autoline. Here now is John McElroy. Thanks for joining us here in the studio with Derek Cusack, the Group Vice President for Global Product Development for the Ford Motor Company. Great having you here on AutoLine. Great to be here, John. Thank you. And also joining me today, Tony Swan from Car and Driver Magazine. Great having you here, Tony. Thank you, John. And Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau. And writing for a whole bunch of others on top of that, too. Great <laughs> exactly. having you here, too, Paul. Thank you, John. Well, let's jump into it. Derek, it's been so impressive to see how much the Ford Motor Company has changed in the last three years. You've got this plan you call One Ford. Get everybody globally on board. From a product development standpoint, are you there yet? Is there still more work to, do, to go? Where do you, how do you assess your journey so far in trying to get this, this giant corporation hitting on all cylinders globally? John, in a business as competitive ours, you're never there yet. We've clearly made progress. The, the second bullet point around the One Ford plan is about accelerating product development and giving customers vehicles that they want and value. And we've made progress there. A big portion was integrating Ford. A big portion is focused on product excellence. Uh, but we've only, frankly, just started. And uh, we have a wave of new products that are coming. And our intention is to continue to provide vehicles that really customers love. That's the way we talk about it. Emotive vehicles that they love. So the company's very profitable right now, even though the American market's nowhere near as back to where it was just a few years ago. That would suggest there's really good times ahead for Ford yet. Well, I think the industry is growing globally, but it's growing at a steady pace, which is probably the right thing for the industry. And clearly, we're confident about the future but we're not overly confident. Uh, we have to keep delivering the plan, keep delivering year-over-year year improvements in our products, and keep delivering year-over-year improvements in what we call operational excellence, which is the efficiency of how we deliver our products. Derek, you had uh, an announcement this week uh, about new powertrain technology. It, it's intriguing to me because for what John was saying about the, the progress Ford has made, uh, perhaps nowhere is it more visible to, to gearheads than on the, the powertrain side, an area where, frankly, Ford lacked for a long time. Talk a little bit about, about some of the changes and, and what this is going to mean, how important powertrain is. Well, powertrain is a part of our overall equipment of fuel economy and being a fuel economy leader with each and every new vehicle we introduce. A big portion of that is attention to detail in areas like aerodynamics, all of the efficiency in the entire driveline. But another big portion of that, as you indicated, is powertrain technology. And uh, that, for example, the shining star there for is EcoBoost engines, where the intention is to provide customers both performance and fuel economy. We always talk about the challenge in product development is giving customers and solutions, and mm -hmm. EcoBoost is one of those. And EcoBoost engines provide 10 to 20% fuel economy. 
Our approach is to replace V8s with V6s, V6s with smaller displacements I4s, and smaller displacement I4s with larger displacements I4s. We recently extended the range all the way to a one-liter I3 engine that in the future will replace larger displacement I4s. It really is a complete range now of V6s and I4 EcoBoost engines. That will be in 90% of our vehicles in the U.S., 80% globally by 2013. So it's a big part of our fuel economy story. And, and you, you're also doing a new uh, multi-gear uh, transmission, what is it, eight-speed. Um, so it, it seems like uh, a lot of the, you know, there was talk about there's no more low-hanging fruit. Uh, it seems like you're discovering all sorts of ways to get two, four, six, ten percent savings with a lot of additional developments. Absolutely. And so it's, it's not just engines, as you indicated, it's transmissions. We've made a real commitment to six-speed transmissions, going 100 percent across the board by 2013. We've made a commitment to electric power steering. I think probably within the industry, the rapid, most rapid migration in the industry to electric power steering driven not only by fuel economy, but also great steering. So it is all about attention to detail. Clearly, electrification is important, but we consider everything we do to try to improve not only electrified powertrains, but even gasoline and uh, diesel powertrains. When are we going to see some diesels uh, here in uh, passenger cars from Ford? Well, Tony, we have uh, state-of-the-art diesels in Europe. In yes. fact, they're probably 60% of our volume in Europe at this point. Uh, for North America, we clearly have state-of-the-art diesels for our trucks. Uh, Absolutely. The new uh, diesel in the uh, F-150 is terrific. Right. The 6.7 is a great diesel. Uh, on the car side, it's a little bit more problematic. We look at all of our powertrain technology from a cost of ownership perspective. Does it make sense for a customer in terms of the initial increment in price? How quickly does it pay back? So that really is a rational cost of ownership decision for a customer. And we look at the North American market with the emission regulations that are here, it really requires pretty ex expensive after treatment. So you have the cost of the after treatment, you have the additional cost of a diesel versus a gasoline engine, and you also have the price at the pump which is a different relationship here in North America than it is in Europe. Well, that's been varying wildly. And also, when you're talking about this, uh, these distinctions between a gasoline engine and a diesel engine, what about hybrids? How do they figure into that, uh, the cost of ownership and the, and the initial investment getting in? I mean, uh, hybrids aren't any cheaper. Well, just, just so I'll finish the story. When you add all that Sorry. up together, diesels from a cost of ownership perspective take a really long time in the North American market for customers to achieve a payback. Hybrids have a similar story, although we continuously improve the, fuel, the cost efficiency of our hybrids. And they also have a bit of a panache, uh, particularly with North American customers. If you look at hybrids in North America, you see some percentage in them, uh, basically a take rate in the North American marketplace. Not quite as much in Europe because diesels European customers are used to diesels, and they see that as the real alternative. So it almost varies by marketplace. Hybrids in North America, diesels in Europe, but overall gasoline engines very strong, and EcoBoost actually an alternative to diesels in terms of the efficiency they provide at a much lower cost. Yet we're seeing diesels where available. 
gaining a lot of traction. Some products that the Germans are selling, what, 40 and 50 percent diesel, um, with their limited availability, their market share in the U.S. market is now approaching that of much more widely available hybrids. So there seem to be a number of your competitors that are rethinking diesel and may in fact come out with them in the next couple of years now that they think they can make the next level of emission standards. Is Ford rethinking its strategy? So clearly we watch what's happening in any market that we compete in. We do see some isolated nameplates making some progress in terms of diesel take rates. One of the advantages that we have, Paul, is that most of our vehicles are on global platforms. Yeah. So that allows us, for example, to bring those state-of-the-art diesels that are in those platforms to markets globally. So we have that opportunity if we see it start making sense from a cost of ownership and a customer demand perspective. Derek, as you say, hybrids have a panache to them. There's a, a payback that looks more reasonable than diesels, at least at this point in time. But as you well know, Hybrids in the U.S. market are still less than 3% of the market. Even with $4 a gallon gasoline, they're less than 3%. Half of all hybrid sales are one car, the Toyota Prius. I can't believe anybody else other than the Prius is making money as a hybrid. And I'm wondering if EcoBoost isn't just going to destroy the market for hybrids for Ford anyway, because my perception is once you get to 40 miles per gallon, and you can do that without a hybrid system or even without a diesel system, customers are going to say, that's good enough. 40, 40 miles to the gallon, that's good enough for me. Where do you think this is going to go out? Do you see any hope at all for hybrids to increase their market share much above where it is right now? Well, part of our thought process, uh, John, around electrified vehicles, whether hybrids plug-in or battery electric, is this for us is long-term. Uh, there's a commitment to year-over-year -year substantial improvement in our fuel economy and a CO2 reduction year-over-year. -year. It's a commitment that's based around, driven by customers, also driven by climate change, and viewing that as an issue that we need to be part of the solution of. And as we look to that future and that continuous year-over-year -year improvement, you get to the point, even in spite of what Paul indicated, attention to the detail, that electrified vehicles will have to become part of the solution, an increasingly higher percentage of our volume. And the one way to deliver on that is to keep learning how to deliver those vehicles more attractively to customers in terms of their cost structure, more attractive in their design, how they perform. And recognize we're not just talking about North America or Europe, you're talking about global markets, you're talking about cities, where people live 20 to 30 million in cities that are really constrained in their size. So this is not just for us today, it's a view to the future. One of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is we're seeing a trend to very aggressive electrification uh, on the luxury end of the market. Now, that much of luxury sales, but perhaps no makers seem to be more aggressive in talking about battery power, plug-ins, regular hybrids, and pure electrics, then uh, you're seeing it with Porsche, Mercedes, BMW. Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce even, yes. I mean, BMW is starting an entire sub-brand purely for battery-based vehicles. Uh, wonder what your thoughts are about that and how will that affect your thinking and planning longer term for Lincoln? Well, actually, I don't have to talk about that longer term. I can talk about that today with Lincoln and the MKZ hybrid. 
which even today is the most fuel-efficient luxury sedan in the market at 41 miles per gallon uh, on the highway. And uh, we've been remarkably successful with that Lincoln Hybrid, probably in some of the markets that we, are, we see as our biggest opportunity, the luxury markets on the West Coast. So markets like L.A., San Francisco, and Seattle, where the Lincoln MKZ Hybrid is selling at a 50% take rate. Uh, Auto Pacifica, it was the highest customer satisfaction hybrid in the market, the Lincoln MKZ. Uh, so we already see that as an opportunity, and we're actually already delivering on it, Paul. Talk a little bit more about Lincoln, because we here in the media, and I think others who really love cars, have been wondering what Ford's going to do with that brand. You're making improvements to it, but I'm wondering how serious a commitment is Ford to building Lincoln back to a true luxury brand. And by that, I mean going toe-to-toe with Mercedes, Lexus, BMW, and so forth, and on a global basis. Well, we're absolutely committed to the Lincoln brand. We've made that very clear. In fact, what we've done within the company as a whole, where Lincoln now is the premium brand within the Ford Enterprise, uh, where Mercury has been discontinued, really allows us to bring that focus, both in terms of investment and people, to Lincoln. And uh, increasingly, you'll see that happening over the, uh, the course of this year. As you've indicated, John, we've made some steps. Uh, if you go back several years, I think it's clear that we probably weren't where we needed to be with Lincoln. With the MK products, Z, S, and T, We've made progress over the past few years, clearly given Lincoln a unique exterior design DNA. And then we've committed over the next three years to seven new or significantly refreshed products. And I think that's the sense of the commitment we're going to make. And that includes a new entry in the highest growing segment, which would be the, uh, the C or the small car segment in the, the premium brand. That's a level of our commitment, and uh, you'll start seeing that soon. Could you take the Lincoln brand, or will you take the Lincoln brand to places like the European market or Chinese market? Well, initially, our intent is to make it successful here in North America, and that's where our focus is going to be. We always have that opportunity to go outside of North America, particularly the way we're organized, particularly the way uh, our vehicles are developed. But at this point, our all-consuming focus is Lincoln in North America. It, it would seem almost logical that in the long run you have a great opportunity, uh, too great to miss, not to bring Lincoln into China, which seems to be rediscovering brands. In some cases, Buick's demonstrated this, brands that might not work anywhere else. Yeah, look what it did for Buick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it would seem like China would be uh, not necessarily Europe would be your greatest opportunity to, to launch Lincoln overseas. It's a, a really great thought, Paul, and uh, the opportunity is clearly there. And I didn't preclude that as part of the plan. All I indicated was in the immediate future, our concentrations on North America. This is a little bit tangential, but uh, I wonder who came up with the term Echo Boost, because that person ought to get a medal or a raise or, or something because it has so much traction and all it is really is another way of saying uh, turbocharging. Well, I stay out of nomenclature, Tony. <laughs> but you're right, it, it is a great name and it, it really has helped us. But I, I, don't want, I want to indicate that our approach 
to EcoBoost. It isn't just turbocharging, by the way. I it's was turbocharging, it's direct injection, and it's downsizing. Yes. But it's really the software that controls it all, too, You're absolutely right, right John. That's, we have a large number of patents, and those patents, and we've been developing EcoBoost engines for almost a decade. And actually, a lot of the development work started in Europe, uh, basically because of the conversation we had earlier. As diesel engine emission regulations became more and more stringent, there was a concern what happens if they become so stringent even in Europe, that they become unaffordable. And our initial thought process was EcoBoost as an alternative. And frankly, that's where it ended up, uh, with just great low-end torque, which is what makes diesel engines so fun to drive, uh, providing great fuel efficiency. But importantly, part of all of our work was the fun-to-drive element. You never have an issue with turbo, turbo lag in any Ford EcoBoost engine, and you get that great combination of performance and fuel economy. Other people have done it, but they've moved the balance either to fuel economy or performance. We found a way to deliver both, particularly low and torque, and a lot of that is in the sophistication of our control algorithms. You know, we've talked about powertrain, we've talked about uh uh, basic vehicle design and globalization. One area which we'd be remiss not to talk about is the way that other technologies are invading the vehicle. Uh, sure, fuel economy and performance are or have been critical to selling a car, but these days, uh, your sync system, uh, crash avoidance technology and the like uh, are, are essential to many buyers. And I think Ford has a policy that you, you like to sum up as sort of democratizing technology. Let's talk a little bit about that. I think just a, a starting point, Paul, is the importance of technology to the Ford brand. And it was a concerted strategy on our part to use technology as a way to help differentiate the Ford brand and bring people to the Ford brand in a very crowded marketplace. And probably Obviously, leadership around fuel economy was really important to that. But design, emotive, bold design was a big element. And another element was technology and talk about technology. And so it's become for us a part of our fundamental brand and product strategy. And several elements to it. It's a focus on three areas of technology. Obviously, sustainability or fuel economy, safety a second. And then the third was interior comfort and convenience technology, particularly infotainment and connectivity. And another element of that strategy, and it's part of your democratization, is once we have a technology, we move it across all of our vehicle lines as quickly as possible. And that way, technology becomes ours because it's on every vehicle. So people start associating the technology with the Ford brand and also it helps us deliver technology. It makes for a better business case for us and for our supplier partners. So our supplier partners are coming to Ford with their technology because they know which areas to bring us their technology, mm -hmm. three, and they know we're gonna work with them to deliver the technology in high volume. And so you're right, it's been fundamental to us. Sync, perfect example, across three million vehicles already in about four years brings us to the Consumer Electronics Show, the largest consumer electronics show in the U.S., two years in a row, the keynote speaker. Yeah. People would never have thought about Ford in that kind of way, 
without our approach to technology. But what about taking that overseas? When is sync and uh, the self-parking feature and my Ford Touch going to show up outside of North America or outside of the U.S. market, essentially? Yeah, and just as we do with everything within Ford these days, particularly our product strategy, it's a global product strategy. So just as we have a global powertrain strategy, a global vehicle strategy, we now have a global technology strategy. So that means sync goes to Europe. In fact, it goes globally. Uh, it starts next year. And uh, that means the development of, for example, in Europe, 19 different languages. In fact, just an interesting point uh, on that, John, sync being a unique element, is that part of our work in uh, sync was on voice recognition. And part of our surprise was how we actually had to lead not only the automotive industry, but frankly, probably the consumer electronic industry in developing improved voice recognition technology and also making those improvements in a wide array of languages. When you think about Spanish, it's European Spanish, it's Mexican Spanish. I mean, every, di every language has its own dialect, so it really makes it complicated. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Our approach to technology, whether it's Park Assist or Sync or My Ford Touch, it's now planned for global applications. Isn't there a danger? Um, you've brought some of your newest technology down into even the Fiesta segment. Doesn't that make it more difficult because uh, normally technology debuts in luxury cars? In some cases, you're putting it in your smallest and least expensive vehicles. Doesn't that make it more difficult for uh, Lincoln to differentiate itself? So, Paul, to this point, we've been really emphasizing technology as a way to differentiate the Ford brand. With our new commitment and consuming focus on Lincoln, that will allow us to have unique technology for Lincoln and launched in Lincoln. So we've already indicated what some of those technologies are going to be, fully retractable roofs being one, electronic uh, prindles, electronic shift mechanisms in, a, in the vehicle push button, active noise control, computer-controlled damping. My Lincoln Touch is an existing example. So those will be examples of technology that will be unique to Lincoln, launched in Lincoln. Maybe eventually they'll migrate to Ford. But part of our differentiation strategy and the transformational next step for Lincoln will be unique technology for Lincoln. Well, we talk about technology, and I wonder how much is, is going to be enough. And, and of course, there probably is never going to be enough. But Sync was a big success, there's no question about that. But then my Ford Touch, my Lincoln Touch and that sort of thing, has come in for some criticism, at least in certain quarters. Uh, how are you going to address that and what can you do to improve it and when, what is going to be enough? Yeah. So we've clearly heard the concerns, Tony, and we're addressing them in two ways. Uh, first is through more how-tos and the ability to touch our customers with uh, teaching and instructional help, and the other is improved software and software upgrades. And in that regard, our thought process always, particularly around the electronic side and the approach to consumer electronics, was to provide customers features and new technology at the rate of consumer electronics. And so that does mean software upgrades in the neighborhood of every six months to a year just as you get with your uh, smartphones, with your laptops. And frankly, that needs to be our approach even in the automotive industry. Frankly, it provides us another 
very positive touch point with our customers over their lifetime of ownership of their vehicles, our vehicles. So that was part of the thought process. Clearly we're responding to the concerns, but our intention is to move forward and continue with that consumer electronics type approach uh, and interface with our customers. Well, I look at uh, you know the layout in the Explorer, for example, my Ford Touch. And there are some elements of the controls that uh, baffle me in terms of why are they better? Why is it better to have these touch buttons that aren't all that easy to operate, especially when the vehicle's in motion, uh, than an old-fashioned knob for adjusting volume? You know, thumb switches on the steering wheel, that's fine. Or a knob for adjusting stations. Now, remember, I mean, I came from an era when uh, accessories on a car were summarized as R and H, which was radio and heater. So uh, I'm a practicing Luddite, as Paul has pointed out to me many times. Tony, what we've been, what we're doing is we're responding to the fact that customers really live today around information and entertainment. Their whole lifestyle outside of the vehicle is built around that immediate access to information and entertainment. We have, we've judged the obligation to continue to provide them that access, although importantly in a way that's safe and intuitive that allows them to keep their eyes on the road and their hands on the wheel. That's why our whole major portion of our interface is built around voice control as the starting point and then controls on the steering wheel as the next element of providing the interface to the vehicle. And those controls on the steering wheel are exactly the same controls you're so used to with your cell phone, and they control all of the major functions, volume control, changing stations, changing the media source, so that you actually never have to take your eyes off the wheel or your eyes off the road and your hands off the wheel. So that's the way my Ford Touch and my Lincoln Touch were conceived, and there's some opportunities for improvement and responding to those opportunities. And on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up. Thanks so much for coming on AutoLine Detroit. It's been great having you here, Derek. Thanks, John. Great questions, great dialogue. Thank you. And thank you, Tony, and thank you, Paul. It's been great having both of you here, and thank all of you for tuning in.